program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest, Brad Harlson. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Now, that's not the same as like Woody Harlson, right? The, the actor. No, 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 no. I got that a lot growing up, playing basketball and whatnot. And they always, you know, and the white guys can't jump and Woody Harrelson and, but no. (laughs) You're like, not related. Yeah, because then I'd be like, you, because isn't, he had quite the story of like, his dad wasn't there. And so I'd be like, oh, sorry, like hard stuff in your family. Right, Right, yeah. But since I'm not interviewing Woody Harrelson, we met on LinkedIn and we had something in common. You served a mission in Colombia where my son is. And I'm like, I'm so excited because I want to know everything about Colombia. When my son opened up his mission call, which is the assignment, he does not choose where they go. So all the family, we get together and it's like this big, like unveiling of where are they going to go? He, um, somebody said, oh, like Pablo Escobar and drugs. And I laughed nervously because I, it's not really nice to have on the live video. And then somebody from Colombia was super upset that their country was compared to that. But sadly, I think that is something that a lot of people know about Colombia is the famous drug lord and drugs. Yep. So you have a blank slate beyond that to fill us in. Well, that's that's super exciting. First of all, where is he in Colombia? So he is in Bogota North. So Bogota okay, North. Right. So anywhere yep. north Bogota City or north. But right now he we just had our first call with him. Um and he's in Bogota. That's so awesome. One of the more wealthy parts of town. And he's like one appointment. We're like talking to these people in a really nice place. And then, you know, somebody with, you know, dirt floors. Yep. And it is that that brings back a lot of really cool memories of when I opened my call, because that's that's exactly right, is that we don't get to choose where where we go. And things are a little bit different when you said that you just had your first call with him is when I was a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We only got to email home for 45 minutes once a week. Oh, and then we would call home uh, twice a year. I think it was Mother's Day and Christmas. And that was like a one hour Zoom call. And so nowadays they're able to talk a little bit more. And, and that's, a, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to stay in better touch with your family. But I remember it opening it up. Cool. I opened that call and I was, and I, and I read it and I was like, Bogota, Colombia. <laughs> yeah. And then. <laughs> Which was sad because I had taken a couple of years of Spanish in high school and somebody from the back was like, it's Bogota, Brad, it's Bogota. <laughs> I was like, ah, dang it. And I, honestly, I wasn't super familiar where that was. I knew it was in South America and I went over to the map on the wall 
And one of my friends had guessed that I was going to go there. And so I was really? like, oh my gosh, like that's going to be so insane. I looked at it and I'm like, I'm going to be in the Amazon. This is terrible news because <laughs> I hate bugs. And I had a cousin that was like, yeah, I bet you're going to go to the Philippines. If I, like, if I go there, I think I'll die. Cause he was telling me about all the things that he um, like would do and see in, in the Philippines. But I, I was assigned to the Bogota South mission in, in Colombia. And so that was, that makes up more than half the country, but we were only in a very little part of it because of, you know, guerrilla warfare and, and other things like that. And, and so when I got there, a lot of the Colombians were just like, Hey, so now when did you, you serve? I was there from 2014 to 2016. Okay. And people were like, were you, were you, uh, were you nervous when you got assigned here? Like, what did you think of Colombia? Probably Pablo Escobar and drugs, huh? And I was like, I actually had no idea about any of that. So I went in as ignorant as can be. And my mom was a missionary, but she was in Honduras. And so she oh. told, told me a couple of, of stories that were pretty sobering. I mean, she saw worse stuff, uh, like a lot of very, very gruesome things, you know, like people dying and, oh. and a lot of poverty, which is, and it's some of it is just, that's the reality of, of being in South America. And I've loved South America. I've been, I've been able to go back several times and I've lived in Panama, visited Peru, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, a lot of those Spanish-speaking countries. And so I love it. And it's no knock on it, but but it is a very different way of life. But the Colombian people are just so hospitable and, and just so awesome. Okay, so let's back up for a second. So your hey. mom <laughs> saw people killed on her mission or like people that were dead. Yes. Yeah. And um because I lived in Washington, D.C., and I saw, um, you know, a couple of dead bodies, and yeah. I worked in a hospital, and so I was with people, you know, at times like that, but it's very different, you know, the first time you see someone just dead, you Definitely. know, that's very sobering, Yeah. and yeah. I was in my own country, Yeah. you know, but um, what, what were these stories? I mean, I'm kind of curious, like, I don't want to, like, horrify our listeners or anything, but you know? Yeah, that, that's one that comes to mind that, that I actually have the details for. And, and this one's not really gruesome, but just kind of looking back on it, my mom was like, that was a very, very bad idea. Is some guys took her or one of her companions purse and just like took off and they chased him. And like, I think they just like were slapping him and stuff until he gave it back. But, <laughs> and she's like, looking back on that, that was a very, very bad yeah, idea. Yeah, because he could have been armed. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, I had fellow missionaries that um, that would have guns and knives and stuff pulled on them regularly. And, and I mean, and not to be realistic and not dramatic it, is that it does happen, but it's not like everybody's life is always in danger. You know, I knew That's this one missionary who had a, so these transfers or, or periods where companions are together are about on average six weeks long. And companions are, again, you don't choose your companion, right. but you, want, you do stay with them 24-7. Like, I always thought it was funny that in the missionary handbook, it says they're to sleep in the same room, but not the same bed, you know? so <laughs> That's about is, as much personal space as you get from them. <laughs> yeah, you have your, but they are with you all the time. So you learn a lot about how to deal with people. Because oh, yeah. Even though you have a common goal, you may not like them a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, and so for... Um, uh, a male missionary he is he will be 
on a mission for about 16 transfers. So 16 of these six weeks periods and sister missionaries will be um, there for 18 months. So 18 um, six week periods. And this one missionary, bless his heart, he got, I think he had a gun pulled on him once a week for six weeks. Oh my heavens. And so it, it just like every time we would have our weekly meetings, he's like, hey guys, I got robbed again. And, and robbed was like, they would take a few thousand pesos from you. And if you had a phone, it was just like a cheap little Nokia brick right. phone. Which but, my son has been told not to carry anything but the money for the day. And it was seemed like they were very much like, look, this happens, but don't just give them what you've got for the day. You know, give them your money. Don't worry about it. And the phone is being supplied by the, the mission so that he's not having to get a phone shipped to him because we can't Correct. get things like that shipped to him unless right. we pay someone to carry it into the country. Right, exactly. And, you know, and, and it's a pretty rigorous schedule. You're up at six or six 30 in the morning and you get to bed at 10, 10 30 at night. And it's just go, go, go. If, if you're not meeting with people, you're walking to, to talk to people about the message uh, that they're sharing about Jesus Christ. And if you're in the house, then you're like cooking because it's time to eat or you're studying, you're either studying the language, you're studying uh, teaching methods, um, talking to each other, planning for the day or for the week. And Figuring so out how to serve people, pray right. for people, your whole entire life about other people. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy because your work, the, the outside like, but on the pavement, you're probably working 80 to 90 hour weeks easily and several hours more a day studying. And so by the time you come back, I mean, you're just beat. Like you're looking at that bed and like, wow, that looks so good. And, you know, I remember I got to the point that I was like, oh, it's time for bed. I would lay down and it felt like as soon as my head hit the pillow, the alarm went off again. <laughs> and doing that for two years, it's, it's, it's difficult you know, it's hard, like make no mistake about it, but it's, it's different when you're, when your days aren't really worrying about yourself. It's something that's refreshing and different and frankly, very odd. And to do that for two years is, is weird looking at the rest of your life. And then just this little blip of, of time. It's, it's very unique, but it's very cool. That is really cool. I, I loved how you were talking about you know, it just happens, you know, you just, you just get mugged. It's okay. It's like not a big deal. Yeah. Because they're not, they really just do want those few thousand pesos, those food, few dollars that you and, have on you. Yeah, there was this one and this only happened once while, while I was there, I went back and visited in 2018 and, and this had happened to two other missionaries, but I was a health secretary for a little bit. So I was um, no like real health responsibilities because I didn't have any you were just coordinating exactly yeah so I was like a health coordinator for the mission and so I was in the mission office which is in the Bogota North Mission um, it is in a great part of town I mean across the street yeah McDonald's yeah Burger King Papa John's is just like half a block up. that kind of makes me sad that that's it, the great part of town like I'm, these American institutions or I mean American businesses well, yeah, yeah yeah and so for me it was like whoa this is very much like home you know but then they had like the very like the nice Colombian restaurants and, and other things around that we obviously couldn't afford to go to but I got this call from our our mission leader 
and he's like, Elder Harrelson, I need you to call the, um, the insurance and figure out these details. And he used like this big term. And I was like, are you trying to say this missionary was stabbed? And he's like, <laughs> yes. Oh. And so, and so like, there's a section in this, in our missionary handbook that gives rules and, and tips for physical safety as well as other safety. So like you were saying, you'd bring a certain amount of money for the day, but then sometimes like I would even diversify and split up that money on my person. So I might have some in my white shirt pocket, a, a couple thousand in my sock, and then a few thousand in my pocket. And, and, and it, just to be sure, we're talking about Colombian currency, not a few exactly. thousand American dollars. Right. So when I got like, man, these missionaries are rich. No, the opposite of right. That. It, that's yeah. exactly right. Especially since we pay for it ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, my I son, worked. we paid for half. I paid for my whole mission. Yeah. Um, but it was cute because he was talking about he bought some grapes and they were about eight American dollars. And he's like, you know, I can't I can't afford to do that. And I just kind of had to smile because he's grown up being able to eat grapes anytime he wanted. Yeah. You know, blueberries and strawberries. And he's like, but you know, mom, we're on a budget. And I loved it that he didn't ask me for more money. I was like, my little boy is growing up. It's so funny. And you really there's a lot of ways that you just kind of have to grow up you know, and nobody's there to, to really like, Hey, no, like everything's going to be, let me take care of you. Let me do this. Like there, there is some of that. And, and hopefully your companion is a good support to you. And that's the other gift of having that companion. He's in a, a trio. So he has his training companion. And I think he's training another guy as well. And my son, nice. but the other gentleman is from Ecuador or right. the other young man. And so he's not going to have the resources so he needs to stay on that budget because it equalizes things, Definitely. you know, that if he's like, you know, don't worry, I can go over the money. That's not fair to his Ecuadorian companion that mom and dad just can't send more money. So right. there's, there's a, a benefit of staying within that budget beyond learning fiscal responsibility. Yeah. And, and so this, this missionary, he had, he'd gotten stabbed, stabbed. and in this, handbook like there's stuff like stay in well-lit places where there are like people around and they were they were doing that so they were up in this area that was a little bit more dangerous and this has kind of been interesting as I've come home and thought about this is I feel like in the United States a lot of the times the houses up on the hill are like the nice ones like the really expensive ones big houses on the hill but in Colombia it's like if you had to go up this hill like you're gradually getting into more um, like poorer areas and so they were up on this hillside and so you know just like wood frame tin roof because um, the nicer homes floor. have more like compounds and private security right exactly you'll see like the glass or the metal yeah you know. yeah yeah and and so they were up there and they were walking down this this um, road to get home and it was pretty well lit. They saw some people down, down the street, but this guy just kind of popped out of this alley. And he, I think they said that he was like under the influence of, you know, drugs and alcohol. And he had this big machete and he just kind of, you know, not this big thick one, but this skinny oh. one. Oh, okay. So, but it was still pretty long. Big, thick machete, but a just machete. Just a regular still. long machete, right? Yeah, just a regular machete. Cause I encounter machetes in my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> right. As you do. And he's yeah. waving it at him. And he, and he tells him, Hey, give me your stuff. And so this, this missionary, um, he's um, from the United States and he just like freezes up, stands still. 
and his other companion, I think he was, might've been from Peru, um, you know, like gradually walking backwards, like, hey man, like we don't have anything. We're missionaries. We teach people about Jesus Christ. Like we don't, we don't really have many possessions. Yeah, we've got scriptures on us. Right here. Take <laughs> we'll these. give you some for free. Yeah. And, and so he walks all the way up to this American missionary and he's like, give me your stuff. And so he takes his backpack off. And as he hands it to him, the guy leans forward and stabs him in the chest with his machete. And it goes through like his sweater, his shirt, through his chest and into his lung, but he didn't know that yet. And so they just turn around and start running and his companion like throws the phone at the guy. And so he like scrambles to get the phone. They take off running. And he was like, man, he punched me so hard. And then he looks down. He's like, elder, I think he stabbed you. And he's just like covered in blood in the front. Oh. And so, so they're yelling like, somebody call the ambulance, somebody call the ambulance. And so people come outside and, and do what they can to help. But then this one person was just like, hey, sorry, like we're, this is like such a dangerous area up here that the ambulances won't come up here. Mm -hmm. So then they were able to get into this one like clinic sort of thing. Um, and then the mission leader came up and a lot of the police are on like these lime green, neon green dirt bikes. And they escorted him like flying across town. Okay, so they, like a motorcycle dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, and so then they just zoom across town. They get him into this hospital. So he's on the back of a motorcycle. Oh, no, no. He's in, the, he's in the mission leader's car, which oh, is like an okay. SUV. Oh, so they escort. I'm like trying to yeah. think about Whoop. how uncomfortable and potentially like you die. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like, and he still no, um, no met real medical attention. And he gets there. And I don't remember what the situation was, but since he had blood going into his lung, I think they, they said that they couldn't knock him out. And so he says that he could feel them putting an incision between his ribs to oh. put this tube up and into his lung to drain the blood. And um, this is where I, you're really glad the anesthesiologists right. and different forms of we can make you comfortable exist. And right. I can attest totally the same story. No, I got hurt on some coral in uh, Cozumel. Okay. And they have little needles here in America that they will give you you know to like before they do stitches the needle there was like the size of like your your ink and your pen oh heck no it was it was big and i'm like that's a big needle i'm good with needles yes you are lita but it was a big it was like kind of hurt more than Yikes. the injury so you know just little things like little needles that we have in yeah. this country that little i things want of comfort. to keep yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like long story short, he had some some PTSD that you that think? He, yeah, no kidding. And I mean like people would just like look at it. He because after he got stitched up and everything, he came and with how many me and my companion. Did he have? Okay, that is actually so funny that you asked. So his wound is probably an inch and a half um, long. And I I, if I remember right, I think they literally only put three stitches in him. What? Because I remember looking at it and it was like the wound was like open, closed, open, closed, open, closed. Right. So we don't even have butterfly band-aids or staples. Right. So he's just, just like kind of stitched, mostly closed. And then I think they might have put four in the one on his side. Oh, and, okay. And so yeah. he, yeah, it wasn't like a really super tight 
stitch job but so it would have been a lot more stitches so we just have to go by inches for impressiveness right Boy, does that so, guy have a story to tell oh, i know and and yeah so he went home because after he got better he got put into a different part of columbia and in, into a different part of the mission and um i talked to his companion about it after he got sent home that people would just like look at him on the street and it was just the right way and he would just like break down and, and cry and Aww. you know just scared and, and it just felt super bad for him because he was such a good kid but yeah that's so sad so he got sent home and would have gotten a the, the counseling help that wasn't necessarily right. available in in Columbia but you know people have asked me and uh you can answer this because my my followers have heard my answer <laughs> But why would I allow my son, why did your mommy, knowing that, you know, you have to go slap people for stealing your bags, allow you to go on a mission to this dangerous place when bad things could happen? Why do you think you, what do you think the answer is that? Because you're not old enough yet to have little people of your own. I mean, to go on a mission. Right. Have you made little people? No little people. Okay. Um, do you have a wife? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Cause just... what kind of member of the church of Christ of Latter-day Saints would you be if you didn't have a wife within two to four years of returning? I know how mission? dare you. I know. Right. Um, <laughs> By the way, we're being sarcastic. You're, you're still, you're <laughs> That's still important awesome. To know. It's important that, important that you, uh, you get to have timing of when you meet your spouse. Yeah. And I think that's such a great question because, you know, and I mean, to contrast that, those experiences with mine is I never got robbed once. And which is weird, you know, like you never got robbed. Nobody ever took anything like, no, you know, and, and I've been mugged twice. There you go. See, I mean, yeah. it happens to a lot of people, but, um, but it was in America. In the yeah. Area. I was just actually in DC two weeks ago and yeah, that's cool. But some interesting parts of town. Yeah. There's some parts of town you really shouldn't go. <laughs> yeah um but i don't know because you you read in in the newspaper you know there's missionaries that really sadly on occasion they die and, and there's some like my friend who got stabbed others that get robbed and then there's people like me who nothing really physically happens to but um i i think that the reason why you know like i went and why people like let their kids do that is just because they they believe that that the the things that we're trying to share with people are are more important and I think that that needs a, a bigger perspective than just like oh more important than dying because that's that's a false dichotomy it's not you either share messages about Jesus Christ and and you you might come home dead you know like that's that's very very rare but just that we believe I think that one of the biggest motivating factors is that like families can be together forever, you know, and, and I was just talking to a friend the other day and he was like, so what's so different about your guys's ceilings anyway, in, in those temples. And, um, we kind of, we chatted a little bit about it and, and we talked about like, a, um, he's like at my wedding, he's like, you know how they say till death do you part? Like, what is your take on that? And, and long story short is that we believe that, um, what is sealed be, on earth is sealed in heaven. And that's yeah. where the ceiling comes from. Yeah, absolutely. That after we die, that we can still have those family relationships and that death doesn't have to separate us um, because of Jesus Christ. 
and that people can find happiness. You know, I've, I've, I met a lot of really interesting people, really great people who had just made some really bad decisions and, and they knew it. You know, I, it wasn't me telling them like, this is what you did wrong. They're just like, I've, I feel this guilt and teaching them about Jesus Christ. And they, they're doing the work, you know, like I can't read scriptures for them. I can't pray for, well, I can pray on their, for them, but I mean like them choosing to pray. Right. We're, and, what you're saying is there's no force happening here. It's right. Just teaching and giving right. people, you know, learning a different way of being just might be something that opens up more peace and joy in their life. Yeah. And, and it happened, you know, people, um, we saw people stop doing drugs. We saw people mend family relationships um, and, and all sorts of things that they have not been able to seemingly figure out their entire lives. And then they just happened to meet a couple of these 19, 20 year old kids from the United States. I mean, I had 19 mission companions and I think three, three of them were from the United States. So I was mainly with um, companions from South America, which was the best. It was so crazy. Yeah, that's really like, we didn't always get along. I had companions from uh, Brazil, Peru, Argentina. um, And, and it was, it was really wild, but to see people make those changes and and whatnot and, and believing that that is what happens when people involve God in their life. And that that is a, a direct result of what happens from like living the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's what lets parents let their kids go and what motivates those kids to go. And, and that, you know, that just trusting in, in anything that happens, you know, if, if I get hurt, then, you know, it's not the fact that if, that if I believe in God, then no bad things will happen to me. It's that even no. though I the opposite right right and and it's and it's despite bad things happen to me happening to me I choose to believe in God well since we're new friends Brad um you know my answer to people is well you know my husband was on the right side of the the correct place on the road cycling one day and yet he still got hit by a bus that um you know and it's kind of like a joke you know life will hit you like you've been hit by a bus right yeah (laughs) but you know bad things happen all the time And, you know, when Jesus Christ lived here, who did he spend his time with? And as a missionary, we spend time with the people that are willing to listen. Right. And that is often the very same people that were willing to listen to Jesus when he was here. People that typically society sees as lost and broken or, um, you know, to be um, discarded. Right. Right. And, and loving people, whether they, I don't know, I've had coaches and people that play sports might relate to this is, you know, your, your coach isn't always just kind of like buddy, buddy with you, but he still does what he feel like, feels like is best for you um, in order to like progress. And, and sometimes, you know, I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ, as, as we teach it is, is not an easy thing to live all the time. Um, But I don't think that's, because like God doesn't love us. I think that there's a lot of growth and discomfort. And sometimes people view missionaries or, or people as the one that are asking those, those changes to happen. But I, we view missionaries as, you know, just like messengers, you know, like carrying, you know, like the, the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, like they weren't Jesus Christ, but they were carrying his message. And sometimes you're like, that's a hard thing that you're asking. And they're like, it is, but we're not the one that's asking it. And that's kind of how, how we view that. And, and what you were saying about not forcing anything is, here's another kind of crazy story. 
is this one guy in this tiny little town in in Colombia. He he stopped us in his taxi and he's just like, hey, you're you're those missionaries, right? And we're like, yeah, we are. He's like, can we talk sometime? I'm like, absolutely. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you're stop you're stopping us. That's half the job. And we meet him at the little church building, and uh, we start talking with him. Like, hey, so like, what's up? What do you want to talk about? Long story short, he just starts like rambling off and like, hey, so I have arranged the deaths of over 200 people. And we were like, I like my companion. I just kind of like, we're not your priest. That's not how this works. (laughs) And he's like, yes, I've arranged the death of over 200 people. um, Some of them being like priests and and other people were like, okay, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. And we're like, we need to stop you right there because with with certain severity of things like we don't like just common just regular missionaries don't have like there's certain protocols just to make sure that everybody's safe and for example like some of those catholic priests that he had arranged the death of were because of like cartel things that he had been involved with and when people felt guilty or whatever and, and would go confess to the priest then now you have a priest that knows names and and dates and and events and so then those people would end up killing them about the activities of murder right 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 and so then when we we like stopped him we're like you would need to talk to like our mission leader and and whatnot and anyways when we got to the part that like you know we would still love to teach you and have you come to church and teach you about like faith in jesus christ and repentance and and whatnot um it, it was from my perception, he didn't come out and say this, but when he realized that it was more than just like a confessional and that your sins were just going to be gone from telling somebody of like religious authority and that he could walk out, uh, he's just like, oh, I see. And then he got up and left and we only saw him like one more time, just kind of driving around so the he city. wanted to just have the, I'm going to tell you all my stuff so I don't have to feel bad about it, but he wasn't interested because there was a change that was required is that right right and he was telling us like i feel guilty and this has just been so heavy and and whatnot and and you know you like you you genuinely feel bad for them you should feel pretty guilty about arranging for people's death and we would say stop doing that (laughs) right and and you know like and in some places in columbia it's just impossible because there's this one not impossible but they get put in these really awkward positions there's this saying it was plata o plomo so you either take the money, the plata, or you take the plomo, which is the lead, like a bullet. And wow. so it's like, it's coercion to you do what I say and take the money. So it's like, you're dirty either way. So you do what I say to help me and you get paid. And then I got you on a bribe or I kill you. And, wow. and it's just, and that's and really hard. For so many people, they, it's the reality for them. Yeah. I mean, they've got a family at home or, you know, just the very fact that they like to live. Right. And these are just good people, you know, who, who just want to live their lives and are trying to figure everything out and, and whatnot. And, and it's a struggle, wow. you know, and, and it's hard. And, and there's just so many good people that, that are in these situations, which is why we weren't allowed in a majority of the geographical area of, of the Bogota South Mission, just because of things like that. The guerrilla warfare that was happening. Wow. Yeah. And, and so it was called the FARC. And Oh, by the time I remember hearing about the FARC. Yeah, so by the time I was coming home, there was this huge thing about them disbanding. But they were, they, the president of Colombia, I believe, met in Cuba with the leader of the FARC. 
And basically the agreement that they came to that it was like, it was very bittersweet because you have these um, paramilitary people that are saying like, we'll disband on the condition that we are pardoned so that you won't hold us guilty for our crimes. And from what I understood, because that was about the time that I went home, that that is what happened. And so many people were upset about that because, you know, they had the thing like plata o plomo, like you help us or you die. And so these people are being let free with the hope that they're going to disband and stop harassing everybody. But then there are other people that were just like, you know, these people are going to go and create other little groups and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But yeah, just sadly that that's just kind of the condition of, of life for some people. Wow. I mean, how fortunate we have, you know, just be able to go where we want to go. Um, I, you know, I lived in, I lived in the hood of DC. And so I parallel it a lot to what you're, what you're talking about, that people did feel like they lived in a war zone. And I interpreted as a sign language interpreter for people that after they've been shot and stabbed and burned and, you know, some really hard stuff. And so I'd go to my home that was on the edge of the projects. So I, it was, it was there and I could see it, but um, because of my life circumstances, being a trucker's daughter, instead of growing up in the hood, because it wasn't just people of color, it was anyone, you know, yeah. I, um, it kind of bothers me when the hood is depicted of only as people of, you know, people of color because it's not about your skin tone. It's about the circumstances you, you live in. Um, so it's just, it's just really sad to think that other children of God have to deal with choices like that. Yeah. But the cool thing in my eyes is that we're sending, you know, like this kid from Southern California is going and, and he's living in these places, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's so immersive and being able to learn the language. And there's this thing that I would, that, my companions probably hated me for it after a while, but they were just like, Hey, where are you from? And I would just say like, so the Cali and they're like, Oh, California. but they, there's a city in Colombia called Cali. Oh, and then they were just like, you don't look like you're from Cali. You're, there's no way you're Colombian. And then I would finish it up and say, no, California. And they were just <laughs> like, ah, they thought that would, I mean, that just killed them. Like every single time they thought that was so funny. And and it was so cool to just like you're eventually like, be able to, I know they're like, you're not from around here. Um, but it, it's just cool to be able to connect with people in, in that way. And, and you know that, so before missionaries leave, there's this thing called being set apart and they're given a, a blessing by their, um, by a local leader. And uh, in the blessing that I was given, there was one that and this was like a super spiritual experience for me because I'd wanted to really learn Spanish, like so good. I wrote down in my journal that I wanted to, if you weren't looking at me, you wouldn't know that I was white by hearing my Spanish. And when I was set apart as this missionary, I, um, the leader when in the blessing said, um, I bless you to be able to learn your mission language to the level of your desire, even unto expertise. Wow. And that just like really like impacted me. I was like, that is so cool. Like I hadn't told anybody. <laughs> and so that was just like a little moment for me that I felt like God knew me. And God's then at the, answering the unspoken prayer. Right. Yeah. And then fast forward two years, I get home, Southern California. We go to this little Mexican market to, to get some stuff for, for fajitas. 
sometimes there's this the Spanish words that when I say it just like without a Spanish pronunciation I just feel kind of silly and that's just because I've you know now that right. I speak Spanish but anyway so we go get some stuff for fajitas and I go to the counter and I just and I start ordering in Spanish and I'm wearing a Columbia jersey and this guy was like okay and he turns around and he looks back at me with this really weird look he's like this might sound really silly that I'm asking you this are you from Colombia? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, like I am literally the whitest person here. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not. Why? He's like, oh, because you're Spanish. Just you, it's so perfect. And it sounds like you're from Colombia. And so that like really came full circle for me with the, you can learn the level of, of the mission language to the level of your desire, even unto expertise. And that was just kind of like a stamp on it, you know, that mm -hmm. I felt like I had put in my work, you know, that and, and that doesn't happen to everybody. And that was like a really personal thing for me. You know, some people don't learn Spanish that well. And I'm not saying that I learned it better than everybody else, but that was just a personal moment for me. That yeah, I was no, like, it's great because you, I, I like how you said it was like the stamp because, you know, people would talk about with well, the power of belief. And several years ago, you know, just could be a, you know, a myth story, but I like it that the FBI was trying to figure out how the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, aka the Mormons, had turned out so many young people speaking languages so well. And so they went and studied at the missionary, you know, observed at the missionary training center, the studying of these young missionaries. And they came away with the fact that, you know, putting everything into the equation, the only thing that the FBI could do, that they could see that they were doing was the power of belief. And so then their question was, well, how do we get our agents to believe that they can learn languages, right? And the power of, you know, so, you know, call it brainwashing, call it the power of God, right? Depending on your frame of belief, you're going to look at it from different ways. But, um, you know, I experienced that on my mission that I got called to be sign language. And I was so bad at sign language when I was studying at in college that my teacher told me I was desecrating her language. Yikes. So it's a similar sign to what you would describe as war or abortion. Okay. So, and she mouthed the word desecration just to make sure I didn't soften it. <laughs> right. Yikes. Yep. So like, I'm telling you in your language, how bad you are at this. And so when I got my call, I'm like, cause I wanted to go stateside you know, speak English, I have less time. And um, I ended up, you know, being given the gift of hands. Sorry. <laughs> and, you know, sign language is still such a beautiful part of my life and that culture and those people. And so, you know, for me, I just am like, why wouldn't I want my son to go and serve deep with people? Because it has been proven for, you know, every kid that goes home being stabbed. <laughs> right yeah. um that um it does turn out people that serve in their community and love god and go on to live devoted lives of faith and um i just think it's an amazing it, even if it is just the power of belief i think it's an amazing practice and um i hope my son doesn't get stabbed i'm gonna put that out there right yeah there. no kidding <laughs> no, nobody wants that <laughs> and, yeah, and it's yeah. life but at the same time um there are dangerous parts of this country Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so just and, because my son didn't grow up in the hood, um, it's not just, you know, these, these countries far away that have crime. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, there are so many beautiful parts of, of Columbia. Like I, when I got to go back in 2018, I got to do so much stuff that I couldn't do as a missionary. And frankly, that I just didn't have the time or money for. It was awesome. Like we went to the, we flew up to Cartagena and, and went to the beaches there. Gorgeous. Which beaches are off, off, off the, the table of fun yeah. times for missionaries. Yeah, no you way. You have part <laughs> of a day, which is called the P day or preparation day that you do your laundry you got that 45 minutes to email back and forth with your family, which was better than the two calls a year and only written letters. Yep. Um, and you're getting your grocery shopping done and it ends at a certain time. So you just don't have time to go be a tourist. Right. And of course, you're staying within your assigned geographical area for the six weeks that you're there. Right. And I mean, like Bogota downtown is just so much fun. I mean, like you have to be careful like definitely like watch your back and, and there's this phrase and they say don't give papaya and what that means is like don't flash stuff that's going to get you robbed so it's like hey like you or they'll point with their lips sometimes too so just be like point yeah, with their lips yeah, it's like, a very south american thing to yeah i love it my friends and family say that i still do it and i've been home for like five or six years now well the movie Encanto. did you notice that yeah i loved it yeah. I mean, and it was awesome. The, just in the just so nostalgic. culture, when people are talking and you're like, oh yeah, uh-huh. Right. You go, you move your lips. Ah. So it makes kind of a funny sound in English, but I still will do that sometimes. And people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's like polite. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. You're like, the, oh. So they would say that. So anyways, like don't give papaya, but I mean, like they've got, I think I want to say it's the largest gold museum in the world. Gold museum? Gold. Yeah. It's, and they have an emerald museum. There is so, like, I literally cannot speak highly enough about, about Bogota. Um, the food is amazing. Like, I, I'm not joking. So growing up in Southern California, like, the Mexican food's amazing, you know. But legitimately, I would go back to Colombia just for the food. Like, <laughs> it, it's insane. It's insane. The food is so good. The arepas with cheese um empanadas um there's this um soup called ajiaco which is like a, a chicken soup with just like this thick broth and, and they've got like corn and avocado rice i mean mm. it's so good there's a i don't it's like the um it's called bandeja paisa it's like the platter of the country um and it's it's literally just a sampler of everything there's beans there's rice there's beef there's sausage um egg avocado i mean it's insane they have more juices than i've ever had in my entire life lulo passion fruit guanabana like it's crazy the country is just has the best food in the whole world and the people are so nice oh my gosh yeah like it i literally i would i wish i could go back more frequently just even just for the food but also for the people but Right, wow, what right. a place. Because the people are the thing that, that stay with you so much. And, you know, just today when you go and travel, I'm always like people and the food, you know, food and the people. Like you're not really seeing a place if you're not making connections with people and having the food, which is why it's so sad. When I was in Indonesia, they're like, you want Pizza Hut? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with Pizza Hut. Even when I'm home <laughs> in McDonald's, I don't eat there. <laughs> right you know um i guess that makes me a snob that i don't eat at mcdonald's but you know how, how like, dare you want cultural food 
I mean, <laughs> and it's so fun. And I still talk to some of some of the people that I met there, like no joke on a weekly basis. I love and, this. And it's so cool. And I mean, some people can't, like there's some people that I wish I could be in contact with, but you know, they move out into the middle of nowhere. And, and there's like this, what, there's this old man named Jasid, and he was super cool. Um, we just found him outside and he was uh, just reading his Bible. You know, that's just what he was doing. Yeah. And um, we just said, hey, how's it going? And good. What are you guys doing? Like, just like super casual as if we'd been friends for a while, you know, just like, how are you doing? Good. What are you up to? Just reading my Bible. What are you guys doing? Oh, just looking for this address. Come over here and see if I could help you find it. Oh. And, and it turns out that it was like, that's another weird thing. Uh, you'll have to ask your son about is the addresses. Sometimes they'll just literally cross out the address and write a new address. Like <laughs> it makes no sense. So that's what happened. Like somebody, there's this metal plate that, that was the address and it was completely wrong. And he's like, well, this is my house. And so then we just started talking with him and, and we ended up teaching him and, and he joined the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, got baptized. And, and then that was that. You know, just it's so funny, just kind of how those things happen, and but it's it's really cool. It's well, so I cool. just love that. I mean, I'm imagine how cute it would be and sweet, you know, from this like having God a part of your life. You're just sitting on your porch and reading your scriptures. Yeah. Right. Like, who just does that? His Bible. I love this guy. Like, I want him to be my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just like really good, just yeah. genuine, kind human being. You know, just so funny. And the people, like you just walk up to somebody and even if they never wanted to listen to you, can I get you something to drink? Just like Southern hospitality, you know, here, sit down and they'll bring you out. It's not just like, here's a glass of warm tap water, you know, it's like cold, freshly made juice for you. Or here's, here's a Coke or here's a, a whatever. And they'll do that for anybody. That's wonderful. And, and it's awesome. That's what a mom wants to hear. Yeah, that's just taking that. care of the kids. Like when people are like, oh, so why am I going to let my kid? There's people out there and they're, that, they're t that are taking care of right. your kid, you know, and it's the mission companion. And it's, you know, and we believe that, that God's watching out for us. And, and oh, yeah. so our backs are covered. And even if bad things happen, I mean, that's not a foreign thing about life of bad things happening to good people. Um, it's just, and I, I think that's a whole nother discussion bad things about happen what faith to good is. People to, because uh, I have this thing about, or no good people or bad people, you know, at every, any given moment, we make different decisions, sure. right? Sure. And, you know, there's people here and other people impact other people. And, but, you know, definitely, I mean, I, there's a couple of times um, on my mission that I literally felt like angels were watching out for us. Typically they don't have sister missionaries serve in dangerous areas, but with the deaf program, they're a little bit more, the people are a little bit more urban. So we served in areas that typically don't have sister missionaries. And most of the deaf program, women are just a better with our hands, I guess. You know, my, yeah, my sister signs. So that's okay. funny. <laughs> you know, so there were, you know, a couple of times that, you know, you could not convince me that we were not being protected. You know, and uh, I'm sure you have stories like that from your mission where you're like, don't go here. Do go there. Do you have one that comes to mind? Yeah. So this one's actually pretty insane. When you said that, um, all the crazier stories are, are coming <laughs> and, and, you know, you can't really communicate everything in a story. It's just like, it's, if you were there, you understand if you know, you know, um, when I was still that health secretary coordinator, 
my companion and I had just gotten new phones. The other ones just stopped working. And we usually have um, at least one taxi saved, not necessarily a specific person, but, but a company. And we realized that uh, I think that day that we didn't have a taxi saved and we were on our way home. It was like nine, nine, nine o'clock at night, something like that. And we get a call at two 30 in the morning and this missionary is like, my insides want to be on my outsides. Oh. And we're like, okay, go to the hospital. We'll meet you there, which was luckily pretty close. We see that we don't have any taxis phone numbers. So what do you do? I mean, we got to go. We had to get right. to the hospital. So at three o'clock in the morning, we are walking downtown streets of Bogota. <laughs> and to people that don't understand that, that is absolutely terrifying. Um, in a usually hustling, bustling city of millions of people, we walk in and it's actually cold there. So really earlier, I was like, I'm going to be in the middle of the Amazon. No, I was nice, like 8,600 feet in the mountains, cold, which I was so happy about. Anyways, we go outside, it's cold. There's like a breeze, just trash kind of blowing around, just like a, a really eerie scene. I mean, and if you've been like to South Batman, America- like the movie yeah. Batman. So yeah. typically there's a ton of dogs just walking around the street, not even a dog in sight. I mean, it was, I was like, we are going to die. I, I was convinced that we we're gonna die. And we're walking down this long, long street until we got to the main avenue. And this guy just kind of like popped out of this, out of this uh, alley. I'm like, we're dead, you know? But then he like turns into the wall and like starts talking to the wall. So he was like high on something, okay. which I was very grateful for. You're very you thankful know? for the wall. To then, give yeah, we keep, <laughs> we keep walking and walking and walking. And then when we get to this, like the main street, there's like three or four dudes that just pop out of the side alley of, it just sounds like there's side alleys everywhere. There are. Yeah. And, yeah. and they pop out and they're just like, Hey, I was like, Oh my gosh, they, we're going to die. I was like, <laughs> I remember thinking my reputation of not being robbed. It's over tonight. <laughs> oh, cause you were like, I have street cred for not being mugged. Yeah, you just I'll, look so intimidating uh, and scary. Nobody right. dared. Yeah. I was like, take that six one. <laughs> Which by minus. the way, he's a uh, you're six one, but you're you're yeah. not a scary looking guy at all. You're like thank friendly you. looking. Thank so you, thank you. I'd mug you. <laughs> <laughs> that's comforting. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I know that sounded really weird. Out of context, that's super weird. Okay, Take so. That. And so I just remember praying, and this is like a prayer that I. We don't we don't have recited or or wrote prayers. It's just like whatever's on your mind, and I remember praying heart. like right. I was like Heavenly Father like. I've never prayed for this, but if you have any angels to spare right now, it'd be a great time. And I remember just kind of feeling a little kind of calm, not like an insane calmness came over me, but I felt like pretty calm and confident in that moment. And then there were these dudes sleeping on the concrete and my companions like keeping up behind me. And he was from Chile and he was kind of a thug before his mission. So I felt a little bit of comfort with that, knowing that he was a pretty tough dude, but not a ton of comfort. Anyways, they like, there's four of them. Right. And two of us. And so, and it's not like we're going to fight them. Well, right. I, no, you're you know, not. This is where, run! but <laughs> they start following us across the street. And then out of nowhere, they just like turn back or like stop where they're at. I'm just like, okay, that was awesome. Because as they were still following us, we stopped a taxi. They looked at us and they took off. They're like, what the heck was that about? And then right when they stopped, a taxi stopped. And then 
it was, so it wasn't, they didn't stop because the taxi picked this up. They stopped, the taxi picked this up, we left. And we asked him like, how come they, how come a couple of taxis were just passing us? He's like, honestly, it's pretty sketchy being a taxi at night because some people can stop you, kill you, take, and then like take your taxi and or your money or whatever. And so I'm just like, dang, people are literally like scared for their lives under almost any given circumstance, you know? Yeah. And so it was just wild. I just remember thinking like, dang, I was totally divine intervention right there, you know? Yeah. And crazy. I was in a party one time where we were told some deaf people, um, a lot of the deaf people <coughs> in South Phoenix, um, there were a lot of them that, you know, were here in this country, didn't have documentation, you know, trying to stay under the radar, but, you know, we don't care. They're all children of God, right? And so we were told that this family would show up at this party and, um, you know, the, they had all these deaf kids. So we really wanted to, you know, connect with them. And I noticed having lived in, well, at that point I visited DC for seven weeks. So, you know, I'd been a little bit exposed to what the hood looked like. My sister lived out there and I noticed that all of the gentlemen had common coloring in their clothing. And I'd seen Hollywood movies, you know, it wasn't like a bandana, but there was definitely some commonality. And I'm like, huh, I think we're at a gangbanger party. And we're like one of the only, we're just two, you know, 21 year old girls at this party with, you know, 80% men. Interesting. And this little kid comes up to me and is like, everyone here has a gun. And I was like, oh, isn't that great? It's good to be able to defend yourself. Yeah. You know, like I am not. And as I'm talking to this little kid, I see where the kid keeps looking over at this gentleman. And I realized like outside of me, I was like, why am I responding so positively? And what was happening was the kid was sent over to see what my reaction would be. You know, to see how I would react they wanted to see if I got scared and so then you know because the kid glanced this man a couple of times I looked at him and smiled at him and he comes over and he's like you know why are you okay why, why are you not upset you know and I was like well I have no reason to be upset do I and then he wow. ended up just kind of going from this like interrogation thing to okay I'll help you when you're what you're doing I'll help you find that family Wow. And I'm like, I read sign language, you know, it's body language. And I'm like, they were there to like kind of upset us and then get us freaked out and all of this. And, you know, I was being guided as to how I was supposed to respond and just smile confidently crazy. at the guy. But there was just this moment of just before this kid comes over and talks to me that I had that awareness, but I wasn't being watched. Yeah. And so I could kind of process, I'm at a gangbanger party. We're, we could be potentially in a very bad situation as <laughs> right. young women. And there's nothing my karate training can do to get me out of this one, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and mission course, impossible. Yeah, and, you know, just being protected and guided. And um, so it's, uh, I just, I love that you have walked the streets that my son is walking. Yeah. And I want to get like a list of people. You can go say, he can go say hi to them. 
least in Bogota, because your area is a little bit differently, but you know, yeah. you'll have to send that to me. And if you're going back to Columbia, you have to take a care package for my son. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to go back sooner than later. And list of all the food. Well, I'm giving you a two-year deadline to take that care package. Okay. Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually at this point, like 22 and a half months. So I know the countdown is a real thing. <laughs> it's like we I, want you I to go so myself, bad but we'll be counting every day until you come back i'm not i'm not um i'm not doing a countdown i'm not oh, doing good. that i'm just doing the months nice. you know but i i feel like if i do a daily countdown it'll just make it harder yeah, you'll go me. insane that way yeah and i'm already on the edge of crazy so you know let's <laughs> let's not do things that purposely drive you insane right um well i just i i love you know obviously these sensational stories are are um are crazy but i really appreciated you talking about your love of the people and that you're still connected to people every week that is yeah, so great it happens that's what that's what things like this do do for you and you know it's not just this heartless mission of like let's see how many people we can get you know it's it's out of a genuine even if it doesn't happen right off the bat you know but it's a, a love that develops and and you know you just kind of feel more one with them if you've seen the movie like dances with wolves or, or something like that where you know how it just kind of becomes like community with them and they yeah. just kind of they meld together and and I think that that can happen and I it's really a cool thing when that does happen from somebody that said but go to Columbia to leaving and being able to come home and, and like whoa are you from Columbia you know and <laughs> yeah. still being connected with them and loving the food and and the people and and the experiences, even if some of them were really sobering, you know, it just it increases your empathy, your awareness of what's happening in the world. That there are, you know, just even learning Spanish has opened up a whole new world to me. Sometimes I feel like people are less intelligent when you when you don't understand them. But just like because you don't you don't know what points to connect on, if it's the culture, the language, the food, shared experiences, um, race, height, gender, whatever it is. And so I definitely think that, that has helped me be able to connect with people that are just vastly different than I am and still love and appreciate it. And more people than, than yes, more, more people did not want to listen to us than the people that, that listened to us. No hard feelings, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's, and it's still cool. And I know that they would still invite me in for, you know, for a juice or just to talk and, and that's just the way that it is. And we don't all have to be the same person or, or agree all at the same time, the same time frame to really get along and appreciate each other. And I think that that is what missions do for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I've had a lot of memories of my mission come, come back as my son's been doing this and I'm just, I'm thankful for it. Um, I had a gentleman on that was a uh, kind of pushing back on that post that was on LinkedIn where I was talking and bragging about my son and and funny in the post I kind of said you know people push back against me you know like gave me a hard time about it being braggy about my son and um you know but it's not the first time I've had people say no to me and you know you right. mentioned that you know on the mission we get really used to rejection it's like pretty comfortable and you know if anyone's looking to hire great salespeople, find some uh, you know people who have um, served a mission they know how to they know how to say take a no and keep going but it was funny that he was like you know trying to get me to say missions are a, a bad thing and I'm like I was basically like you're not going to get me to 
agree with that. Are there some bad things that happen? Yes, but um, we need to learn to what you know what you did. You learn to respect these people and the way they live, and even have compassion and empathy for the fact that they didn't want to take the lead; they take the money, right? All these different ways. Colombiana, and uh-huh. um, we thought it tasted like burnt bubble gum. And then by the time we left, it just like, oh man, get me a Colombiana, you know. <laughs> and, and sometimes that was a joke that some people would would pull on the missionaries, just kind of making them awkward. Like, hey, elder, when you go home, are you going to take yourself a Colombiana, which is like a female Colombian? And oh. and they're just like, oh, oh no. And then they would pull out a Colombiana soda and like, elder, what were you thinking? But you, you know, know, a lot of a lot of uh, missionaries do end up marrying people from these these different countries. That is true. You know, so that they don't date while they're on the mission, but they they make note of some young ladies or young <laughs> men they'd like to uh, <laughs> to look up after the mission. That does happen. My brother-in-law is one of them that he he came back. With. So I have a fabulous Hispanic sister-in-law who makes the best lentils ever, and wow. I keep trying to get her to teach me how to do it. It's happening soon, Yum. you know, so it, it is pretty cool. I mean, the ultimate cultural exchange no to marry someone from, <laughs> yep. from a different culture, because, you know, again, ultimately we just see everyone as children of God. And I really do think that most of the world problems would be solved if we saw others as loved and beloved of God. No kidding. Equally to I, ourselves. Yep. See, I, I get a little, I get a little mommy tears when I say yeah. that. So. Well, thank you so much, Brad, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.